Welcome to the podcast series, Space for Food Security, Does It Work? A podcast that explores the rapid developments and key role that Earth observations play in our global effort to achieve zero hunger by 2030. Brought to you by the Netherlands Space Office. This podcast series explores the real, field-tested innovations and experience of multiple actors within the Geodata for Agriculture and Water programme, led by the Dutch government's space agency. Today's episode, True Clients. Can smallholder farmers still be regarded as recipients of development aid efforts? Or should they be seen as real, true clients of services that fully match their needs and expectations? Now, here is your host, Raymond Afkenscheid. I'm here today in the studio with uh, some very interesting guests, I have to say, to discuss this matter. Our experts in the field of uh, information services or earth observation technology and the usage of those technologies in the world of agriculture and livestock farming. First of all, we have uh, Ruud Grim from the Netherlands Space Office. He is the program manager and the driving force, if I may say so, behind the Geodata for Agriculture and Water program, G4AW. Glad to have you here, Ruud. Yes, thanks. Great. We have uh, Lenneke Bram from ICO, Netherlands NGO, and she is the regional manager for Southeast Asia, working in agriculture. And she has been involved in social enterprises in Vietnam and Indonesia. And she's participating in the G4AW program with the Smart Seed Project, if I'm right. Yes, indeed. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, nice to have you here in the studio. We have uh, André Jellema from Auxwin International, an uh, NGO focusing on inclusive finance and social services for agriculture, health and finance. André? Yeah, thank you for welcoming me here. Um, just a small correction, we're a social enterprise not an NGO. Uh, not an NGO, social enterprise. Thanks. Uh, André, you are the agricultural program manager for Auxfin, if I'm correct. And you are dealing with the good agricultural practices for all projects in Burundi. That's correct. Yes. Excellent. Last but not least, we have one more. Not on the studio, but on the phone. Calling in from France, Catherine Lacombe. That's correct. Good morning. Hi there. You are the Global Technical Advisor for Livestock for SNV Netherlands. That's exact. And you are here to talk to us um, about your sustainable technology adaptation for Mali Pastoralist Project. Thank you for welcoming me. Are you on holiday or? Yes, I am. Well, nice to have you here in the studio, even though you are not in, uh, in office. That's my pleasure. Thanks. Uh, Ruud, if I may start with, with you. We're doing this podcast series on the uh, Geodata for Agriculture and Water, Water Program. But why are we here now at this particular time? Yeah, we are here now because in January, upcoming January, the Climate Adaptation Summit will take place. And this was a moment for us to reach out with our program to much more stakeholders uh, to inform them, inspire them about the opportunities that technology can bring to help uh, smallholder farmers. I think we have to go back to maybe to 2013 to explain that, because at that time uh, we were in discussion with our Ministry uh, of Foreign Affairs about the use of technology uh, for uh, development uh, cooperation. 
And we found that uh, Earth observation and mobile connectivity is really uh, uh, rising rapidly. And uh, it, it provides an opportunity to support uh, yeah, food security in the world. And that was the initial start. The governments and, and research organizations had a lot of information at that time already available, but it was not flowing down to smallholder farmers so that they can uh, decide uh, on uh, the best decisions that they can make in their daily practices. And that was, in fact, uh, the start of our program. And our program uh, is, in fact, aimed to reach 4.5 million farmers in 2023. And that is three years from now. But if you look, uh, uh, there are 500 million smallholder farmers in the world. So it is a big challenge that the world has to take to enable all these farmers to increase uh, food security. And the Global Commission on Adaptation has taken this challenge further uh, they are setting for reaching 300 million uh, farmers in 2030. So our program, we started in 2013, is in fact, uh, you can see as an early adapter of technology in uh, yeah, this, uh, supporting farmers to make better decisions. It's actually quite an intriguing world, isn't it? There's an enormous fast development in, in technology ongoing. Information services are popping up. All over the place, you know, in the in the road, most remote areas, you find mobile phones now nowadays. Um, but I want to dive a little deeper in 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 that. We are today here talking about uh, true clients, and and you refer to smallholder farmers already uh, um, a lot. But who are they, those people? You now, what are we actually talking about, or what are we dealing with? Information is a very big word, and smallholder farmers is an enormous community. I mean, you say there are 500 million in the in the in the world. So I would like to to discuss with you. You know, what is what is actually the target groups that we are working with? Um, Lenneke, let me let me start with you. You are working with a very specific group, vegetable growers in Indonesia. Well, I've been in Indonesia quite a lot. Great vegetables there. But what can this new technology bring and how do these people really use it? Yeah, so first of all, yeah, who is our target group? Indeed, like you already um, insinuated, is that there is not one smallholder farmer. I mean, smallholder farmers amongst themselves differ tremendously. Uh, but if we zoom in on the farmers we are as ICO dealing with in Indonesia, but also in Vietnam, these are smallholders. You need to think about one hectare of land that they have and they and entire families depend on that one single hectare of land. You mean for their own food production or also for production to sell markets? For both. So you see subsistence farming next to uh, growing cash crops uh, like coffee or cocoa or in yeah in Indonesia when we talk about spices you know so they they combine many times the cash crop with subsistence farming but in general farmers do have 1 hectare slightly over 1 hectare and that's all they have yeah so and then you also need to think about smaller farmers they they live in communities they largely depend on their neighbors for for their information 
they literally ask around, you know, what are you doing? Are you pruning? Are you weeding? And so forth. So they they collect a lot of information by looking at each other. So it's it's very much an inner circle of information sharing. Yeah, so to come to your second remark, you know, how do they use the technology? So they use the technology to update their knowledge on what they are doing you know is it still is it still correct or um but wait wait this goes a bit too fast for me okay um, how does this work then i mean do they receive information do they receive it from you do they receive it from each other so they have um different ways to receive the information so the, the classical way of receiving information is by talking to their neighbors uh, but now, of course, they also make use of social media. They use a lot of um, Facebook in Asia. It's very popular also for information exchange. Um, but what we would like to do with this uh, geospatial uh, information and the technology is to bring something extra, which is not readily accessible uh, through internet or, or through those those chat groups or, or social media. What we want to bring in is, is really more um, the fundamental um, information that really, you know, uh, really brings an added value to the things that they're already doing and knowing. And they receive that information through the, an app that we developed together with uh, technology uh, developers, but also with local partners. Uh, we developed an app which gives the farmers uh, easily access to all this information, which was before not within their reach. Okay, and, and you were referring to information about the weather, I can assume, um, crop types or... Yes, also, uh, you know, we also share um, information based on the, the growth stages of the crop of the farmer. So what does he or she grows? Uh, what is, in what stage is this product? I mean, coffee obviously requires a, f- a completely different irrigation pattern than when you grow tomatoes. So, you know, so that is adapted to, to what farmers uh, do grow. Okay. You're already referring to, let's say, the importance of, of sharing information amongst each other, and not only provided by external parties, but also amongst each other. And Andre, I think that is your nick of the woods, isn't it? Uh, I think it is. So, first of all, I very much agree with, uh, with the conception that there are many different smallholder farmers. Eh? Even if you go to other areas there, they, they become real entrepreneurs. If you go to Burundi, we're going really to the bottom of the bottom of the pyramid. Um, it's one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, and we're dealing with, with farmers who indeed are living in each other's neighborhood, who have a future together and need to develop that future together. Um, there are people who cannot read and write. Um, they have even poor eyesight, uh, maybe. But there are also people who are actually quite educated, coming back from university, out of work, and they just simply need to get the next meal. So that's an enormous variety that's of, an enormous of people variety. you work with then. Yeah. So you can see that as a challenge, but you can also see that as an opportunity. So what we're doing, um, we've, in this context, we've developed the G50 approach. So we, we group them and we give them access to, uh, to a tablet. So in Burundi, the penetration of this technology is, is, is it's simply not there. There's not even a weather forecast. So we provide these farmer groups uh, with a tablet. Uh, the farmer groups themselves, they elect their leaders. They need to be representative for the groups. So uh, both the, the old and the young, the male and the female, need to be represented in this, in this leadership. And the leaders, they have the task to help the group of 50 households to, to use the tablets. Uh, and for this purpose, we've developed the, the, the AgriCoach. Okay, so you bring 
50 people or 50 families together. 50 families. Yeah, and there's hopefully one that is already acquainted with using a tablet and you provide him or her with a tablet and the 50 families have access then to all the information that's been sent or, or provided via your program. Yeah, so it's it's not hoping for. The diversity really is there throughout the countryside of um, um, of Burundi. Actually, the population is very young um, and, and people do get educated, but they need to go back to the to the villages. So there, there's people who are willing and with the capacity to really to help uh, help each other. Um, and um, we, we can take these people forward alone, but if we can really bring forward the whole community, the impact of our development is much, uh, much deeper. So that's what we're, what we're aiming for. So via uh, the tablet, uh, we have developed the agriculture, but they also get uh, financially connected. Um, and on our tablet network, we're building more and more uh, services for these farmers. So we're currently, uh, they can already order fertilizers online. Uh, we're building a, a seed marketplace to connect the seed multipliers in Burundi to the farmers. Farmers don't know where to go to get improved seeds. The seed multipliers don't know where to find the farmers to sell them seeds, so they only sell them to, to NGOs who then bring them into the field and hand them out. But we really envision that it needs to turn into an economy, into uh, into an e-service ecosystem. I really like this, actually. I like this this idea of, of um, uh, using the access to a tablet and, and 50 families to, to bring an enormous amount of people to information that is that is available now and, and the, the other initiatives that can grow from that, as you say, in a seed market. Um, these were two examples of, uh, let's say, implementation in the world of agriculture. Uh, Catherine, I hope you're still, still with us in France. Yeah. Yes. You are dealing with a whole other stakeholder group, right? Yes, so um, the two um, projects SNV is implementing uh, under the G4AW facility, um, namely STEMP and MODEM project, are implemented in Sahel, respectively Mali and Burkina Faso. Okay. Uh, I think it's good to for the listener to understand that we're talking about drylands, um, so meaning areas where... Uh, you know, there is a high variability uh, uh, in time and space of rainfall. So the end users of um, these projects are pastoralists. Um, so pastoralists are um, herders moving in the, with their livestock in the direction of um, water and pasture so that they are able to raise uh, their cattle. So in our case, um, um, the service we developed are really uh, focusing on um, meeting the needs of those uh, nomadic uh, herders. And why? Uh, it's because, um, as mentioned previously by Root, uh, the weather and climate in those uh, areas are also very much challenged by uh, climate change. And um, and so the um, traditional knowledge of um, pastoralists are uh, challenged and not anymore that much realable. But there is also um, other challenges in that region that you, of course, are fully aware of. Uh, I'm, I'm here referring to the security uh, situation that is also hampering um, the movement and migration of herds. 
So um, with geosatellite, so it, this means that the risk taken by pastor is to move into one specific direction with non-readable information is really a potential cost. And you mean with that, without proper information, they go into the wrong area? So they they just travel into, you know, from one bad situation to the other? Is that what you try to avoid? Yes, exactly. So, so um, with geosatellite information, we know where pasture and biomass is located at 10 meter. Um, so it's really um, up-to-date, um, real-time information that uh, were used in the past, actually, uh, in, in most early warning system that were targeting decision makers. But what we try to do with a G4EW facility is to make this information really disseminate to end users and to pastoralists via mobile phones. So that's uh, the major in innovation that we try to develop and experiment and now going on scale uh, with G4EW facility. But Lenneke was referring to the use of, of mobile phone apps. André is working via a, a tablet system shared amongst families. And what do you offer the, the pastoralists who are using your technology and services? How does that work? Yeah, so thank you for that question. We, we are actually operating in an environment that is um, quite um, limited in terms of, I think one of my colleagues also mentioned, um, the connectivity is limited, so access to mobile network is limited, um, the literacy rate of the population is very low. So it's really important for our end users and pastoralists to talk to people. Okay. So we are disseminating the information via a call center where there is people answering the question of our end users in local languages. So you're, you mean the pastoralists can actually call, let's say, call it a, a help desk, exactly. and there they meet somebody who is able to help them out with giving them directions in where to go? Um, yeah, so actually we are not telling people where to go but we are providing information on a specific located area so that the farmers have, you know, um, more information to make their decision. And, and that's exactly what we have noticed, actually, is that the service we develop is becoming um, um, a second uh, a source of information where um, our end users uh, is, is checking and cross-checking the information they can have on their own network to make their decision. Okay. Let me go back to, to André for a second. Um, providing the people with the, with the right information, um, what is it actually that you provide via the, um, the tablet, yeah, via the Agricoach? Can you, can you give us a brief mm -hmm. description about what, what's the type of info that is available at this stage? To put it simple, the AgriCoach provides information on what to grow at a certain um, location. So it provides information about what crops matches your local climate, but also a lot of economic um, information and nutrition information to, to help farmers making that decision. So what crop to grow, right? Yeah, so there are currently 13, I think we're going to add uh, by the end of the year another 15 crops to the AgriCoach. So there's a crop selector module in there with all the information. And the information is presented in uh, simple symbology language. 
because in all of the groups there are also people who can uh, write. There's more in-depth information uh, in a written uh, form. Um, but there's especially a lot of uh, movies um, on each step of the, agri- um, of the agricultural practice to yeah, in detail explain how these best practices based on the information in, um, in Burundi can be, can be carried out. Okay, so you provide information on what to grow, mm-hmm. uh, best practices on how to grow, yes. and do you also tell them when to do what? Yeah, it's what, when, and how. So based on the crop selection, they're getting a, um, an activity calendar, which does not only start at the planting moment, but also in the preparation of the season. So how many fertilizers do I need? How much compost do I need? How do I prepare my, fe- uh, my, my fields? Erosion measures, composting, etc., etc. And the calendar basically takes them uh, every step of the um, yeah, every step of the of the way. Um, and then, of course, the question is uh, interesting: How are the farmers now, are now using that, and, and are they actually using it? And, and how do you monitor that? So at the start of our program, we got across a lot of uh, presumptions that uh, well, if you would provide the information this way, in a, in a fancy manner, that the farmers would just do as they're being told, as a kind of, that they're machines. So, um, well, first of all, we started to verify that question in the field. Like, okay, if we make this for you, how, how would you think um, you're going to use that information? And the answers you get back are actually really human. We're talking about smaller farmers who have less than half a hectare to live on, and they live from that half hectare with eight people. They're happy to get two meals a day. So they're really reliant on what they're doing in the field. So they say, well, no, we're first going to, uh, we're probably going to take a corner of our plot, or maybe with our group, we're going to have one plot, and there we're going to experiment with your with your suggestions. And if you see the differences, then we may adopt these uh, these practices. And that's also what you um, what you see in, in, in the results. So you mean it is not a, let's say, one-way flow of information, but you try to improve your information services by verifying what's actually work and what doesn't work? And Definitely. If okay. you're talking about true clients and you're just sending information and you don't verify if the, the information arrives at your client and what he's doing with it, and if it's useful for them, then there's simply no... Business case, no clients. There's no use of, of doing it. There's a lot of sending going on. Catherine, is it is that with you the same? Is it yes? Do you let's say compare what you what you provide in terms of information and what are the effects of that advice and what is the feedback loop from from the pastoralists who are using your service? Yeah, so I think human-centered design is really important um, for the success of this kind of application. So, indeed, from the beginning, we completely um, involved um, pastoralist communities into the design of the service and to such an extent that they are actually part of the information chain. Um, In our case, as I indicated, we're combining geosatellite information with information collected on the ground by pastoralists themselves. And all these information are actually and displayed uh, at the call center, as indicated. So having um, these pastoralists uh, contributing to uh, the service is um, really important also for, uh, you know, the adaption of the service within the community because there you're having, like, ambassador that can explain, that can um, um, promote the use of the service within their own communities, which is also really important for the scale and for um, the growth of the service. And do you succeed? Is it actually growing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, It takes time, for sure, and it requires a lot of investment. 
because, uh, as mentioned, we're we're talking about areas where you know the penetration of technology is low. Uh, the illiteracy rate is is really one of the most of the the, the lowest in the world. Uh, but at the same time, um, uh, we are seeing uh, end users paying to access the, the the service and to get the information because they value it. And in our case, as I indicated before, you know the network uh, is is really limited. So it means that some of our end users has to walk to areas where they know the network is to make a call to get access. Okay. So, um, you know, when uh, your customer is doing this, it really means that the, he is valuing the service and especially if he is doing this or her doing it uh, several times um, and on a repetitive um, habit. Okay, and then let's say the payback, so to speak, is in, in, in terms of finding better fodder finding exactly. more water for, for the herds that they are, are having. And, and does this actually pays off? Yes. So we, we started the implementation of um, this service, uh, which is named Garbal, by the way, um, in 2015 under the G3W facility. And we went commercial in 2017 in Mali and uh, in 2019 in Burkina Faso. And uh, so we already had the chance to undertake uh, two impact assessments. And um, in Mali, like in Burkina, um, among 95 to 98% of the user uh, surveyed indicated that they are taking decision based on the information they receive from the service. And we also have been able to, you know, have control groups to assess the impact of the use of the service so comparing the result in terms of productivity, uh, livestock productivity amongst users and non-users, and we've been able to demonstrate that uh, the users of Garbal service had improved uh, uh, their livestock productivity, especially around milk production. So it, it indeed pays off to use the service. Yeah. Is it, is it the same with you, Lenneke? Do you find that there is a, let's say, close tie between what you provide in terms of services and and what the vegetable growers actually get out of it. Um, Indeed, we have now over 70,000 downloads of the Smart Seeds app and uh, farmers are actively using it. And what we have seen, indeed, the the farmers, to to make these services valuable to them, they need to be part, indeed, of your of the design of the services. So that's, that is uh, part and parcel of all these G4A, or at least the G4AW projects that I know of. The farms are part of that, uh, the design. It doesn't stop at the design and you need to do your impact assessments to see uh, what we developed did that really work out. Are farmers still interested? Because you see a lot of downloads, but that doesn't mean that they actively use it. Ah, and, and that's what I want to know. I mean, providing those services, I can, I can imagine that. Right. Yes. I mean, we all use our app, and I use uh, if if I go out, if, if is a rainstorm coming or not, and, and then I wait five minutes, and I know it's correct, and it pays off. Yes. But how does that work in Indonesia then? I mean, what is the what's the yield improvement? What is the income improvement of using such a service as yours? Yes. So we have seen a really a substantial improvement in terms of input usage. So that has gone down drastically. And with input, you mean use of water, 
yeah, pesticides. Agro- yes, or, exactly. Agrochemicals, for example. I mean, um, the input usage in Indonesia is pretty high when it comes to fertilizer, for example. I mean, Asian countries are known for their overusage and overapplication of pesticides and, and, and fertilizer, and that has been substantially reduced. And then substantially is yeah about eighty percent. No, it's about eighty percent. We have seen decreases, okay. so that is really, and also that also improves their their soil because if you use too many agrochemicals, it's yeah it has an, an how do you say it a negative impact a negative on impact on on the soil conditions. So you see that, uh, so that's not only a short term effect in cutting costs. But also in terms of productivity, it it yeah it's better in in uh, in, in the medium term. So uh, that these are the benefits that we have seen, and what we also have seen is these services. What what really triggers also farmers is to have that chat function. So we have people in a call center who are in direct contact with farmers because they like that personal touch. So you have your technology. But we don't rely on technology alone. It's not a one-way communication. We would like to build in that feedback loop so that we know, you know, the service that we provide, do farmers value that? And if we capture a lot of questions from on the same topic, then that can make us think about adjusting certain features or, you know, bringing it in into a next, uh, a next version of the app. So we really are working towards that you know, that engagement with a farmer. And it's not a, t- a one-way communication, what I said, but a two-way communication because you want you want to create that community feeling that you work both together to, in the end, to provide the service that they really value. It's quite interesting to see that all three of you, all the examples, you know, go into that direction. It's definitely not a one-way situation and it is the interaction between the between the the farmers themselves the exchange of info the feedback loops yes is that Ruth, is that is that something that you observe more often in the G4AW program these are just three examples um, but you have 25 projects in your program yeah i think uh, if we look at the overall program i see i see that a lot of uh, Projects are developing applications and uh, mobile apps, uh, and they are moving in a similar way. And what we see is that uh, Asia is a little bit upfront because the mobile connectivity is much uh, better over there. So the two-way communication is uh, much easier to implement. But even in uh, Africa, you do see examples where the engagement with uh, the users is uh, made available by a, by a technology or maybe by people that are going into the to the fields. Yeah, if I can add to that, indeed, it's not just you launch the app and you have you know some broadcasting like download this app. No, you also need your technical assistance, you know, to engage with the farmers to show them how you address their pain. It's really to make them realize that that there is a way to to support the farmers there where they feel the the, the real pain in in their daily lives. So that's why we always combine also technical assistance and engagement with the farmers early in the process and you know and then based on the feedback and and the, the number of downloads and the number of active users uh, we decide whether or not to go back to that specific community to address a certain topic that has you know has come to light by engaging with them and by seeing the usage of the app and the different functionalities and that is only for the agricultural applications but i think andre you were 
earlier in the conversation we had, you were referring to that, right? To the to the use of this information exchanged also for other applications than just agriculture. First, want to respond to uh, to um, Lennox and, and Ruud because I really liked how Ruud set out the, the difference between Asia and Africa and Africa. So I really like how you explained and how you follow up on your on your feedback loop and just to illustrate. We have also a very intensive feedback loop and we have a whole activated network all the way going down from the grassroots level. So our we have an organization in Burundi of 270 people. Why? Because we're recruiting people in the villages really to support our process and to make sure that our applications are well understood, that farmers get trained in the use of the application, that we get the feedback back that we need to, uh, to do our work right. So I think the... Examples between Lennox and me really illustrating the differences that uh, Ruud pointed out between Asia and, and Africa. And now I'd like to get back to your question. Yeah, but I was referring to, to, to this situation as well. I mean, the, the differences in between Asia and Africa is clear to me. But mm-hmm. I, was, I was wondering, you know, there is... If you use this information flow in terms mm-hmm. of uh, agriculture, uh, where you where you provide um, uh, farmers with uh, with information on um, agricultural purposes, mm-hmm. uh, but you do it in a very let's say community setting, you know, mm-hmm. using your your group of 50 to mm-hmm. distribute this information, I mean, the opportunities are endless. Then they are right. I they mean, are. We yeah. are talking about agriculture here because Ruud's program is focusing on agriculture. But I mean, no, it's true. What, what the sky is the limit then. The sky is the limit. So uh, I already indicated that we're now building this online seed market eh, because sending the information is not the only thing that's needed. There's no seed market. We're supporting the government fertilizer program because the usage in Africa on the fertilizer side is way too low. We are developing an, uh, a health coach currently with a COVID-19 module in there to make people aware about social distancing and the importance of washing your hands, supported by, by UNICEF. We're also developing a nutrition coach, um, a financial planning coach, in collaboration with, uh, with ICO again. So once such a service network is there, you can just keep on building... That's key, right. If, services if, it's, on top there? Of ser- if it's there, it's very cheap to add another service and to support that service and to make sure that it's working. And the farmers need a service ecosystem to, to, to flourish because having the information alone doesn't help yet. I mean, you'll solve a few problems, yeah, but they need the inputs, they need the markets, they need to be healthy. Um, there are many things they need. And the, the, the big challenge for many service providers is to bridge that last mile. So once you bridge the mile, then you can keep building on it. So I think if you're looking at the world, there's at the moment quite a lot of inefficiency of service providers trying to bridge that last mile all independently, ending up with huge costs and scaling problems. So if we collaborate more, better and clever, then there are so many win-wins. Basically, farmers saving money, service providers saving money, that to maintain such a network will just be done at a fraction of the cost. I have always wanted to ask, you know, people like you who are in the field. In the G4AW program, as in many other programs that uh, that are currently developed in the field of innovation in development aid, the question that comes back often is the financial sustainability. So we are talking about services that are being provided to a group of stakeholders. It is within a program environment. So there is a, in this case, Netherlands government subsidy on it. But the program at some stage end. Ruud, when is G4AW 
closing. So the program overall is running for more than seven years, but uh, each project was uh, had a timeline of about three years. Uh, along the way, uh, we discovered that most uh, projects really needed time for a proper inception phase uh, to bring the different partners together and really to understand the user needs. So most of the projects are now already running for about four years. But even then, uh, they are at a phase now that uh, they are still not getting enough revenues from uh, income streams to maintain their operations themselves. So this is a big challenge. And in fact, that was also a challenge that we set out when we started the program. You know, of course, we can initiate an, another project, but there should be a light at the end of the tunnel in the sense that there should be a business case where revenues are coming from. And that has been a very big challenge with every project in our program is when you look at, uh, let's say, the, the clients, these are uh, people that are, have an income maybe even less than $1,000 per year, which means that they, they cannot pay for, for the services. So it means that if you provide services to this community, the, the income should maybe come from other sources. And that's what, in fact, all the, the projects are looking for. They are looking for other revenue streams from business to business developments to, in fact, uh, finance the operations of the services they are providing to the food producers. Okay. So, And that is now the, the big challenge. And we discovered that quite early in our program already that the, the farmers are not really, uh, let's say, having the ability to pay for these services. And even we don't pay for, for a lot of apps that we have on our mobile phone. So, so this is a quite logical situation. So, so, it means so how is this then dealt with? I mean, yeah, I, I do understand that the programs are ongoing and that it is a, a goal to be achieved. But it is, you know. Yeah. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is, is when, when you uh, operate these services, you collect a lot of information. You have a lot of information from space. Uh, you see a lot of, let's say, uh, the, about the agriculture overall. You can collect a lot of information from, from the farmers. And if you combine that information, you can, in fact, provide services to actors in agribusiness. And that is, I think, the, the interesting challenge. And we do even have several projects where agribusinesses are part of the partnership. Uh, they are seed suppliers, nutrient suppliers, uh, even a bank is involved. And if you can build services that both benefit the agribusiness and both benefit, uh, in fact, the clients, then you have the, the win-win situation. Okay. And that's, I think, where... In, in the end, in our program is the challenge is to convince uh, the agri businesses and other uh, businesses like financial institutes, insurance, uh, telecom providers to step in into this type of activities, to invest in that, to cooperate with the, the service providers and to provide this type of services to, to farmers. Um, Catherine, you are working with a telecom company in Mali, right? That's correct. And what Ruth is referring to, is that is that happening in, in Mali? Are you achieving this type of goal or or will the project stop or just end if the, the subsidy flow halts? And thank you for the question. And I, I think there is something very important to outline in from the G4AW facility is that it's built under to facilitate um, public-private partnership, which means from the beginning, 
each of us had to think of a business case because um, Jeffrey W facility provided 70% of the total funding for the experimental the experimentation of these services but one of the key requirements was also to cover 30% remaining so it has you know enforcers from the very beginning at the application phase to think along the business case and that's i wanted to outline that because it's it's in my view one of the key um aspects that is contributing to the success of this facility. But Catherine, if I may interrupt, I mean that is the objective, right? Sure. But can you can you succeed in that in 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 your under the difficult circumstances you are working with? I mean to to ask an enterprise to be financially sustainable under the best of circumstances, you know, is a lot asked. No, sure. In your situation, it it is it is must be an enormous achievement. You're right. But so what I wanted to stress is that the commitment of the different private partners into the business case uh, should be, and due to the, the building of the G4AW facility, what was at the center and at the core of our facilitation as, a, as SNV from the beginning. And that's really an important aspect that is important for the sustainability of, of these services. Is that the same with you, Lenneke? I mean, you know, in with your vegetable growers, um, can you maintain the service after the project stops? Or yes, I mean, of course, it's a challenge. Eh? I mean, that uh, what Ruud pointed out is 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 absolutely true. Eh? You're looking for a business case where you can, you know, sustain the geospatial data eh? to to make climate change, um, how to, to bring climate change into wording that farmers do understand. And farmers, as, as you said, you know, are not able or ready to pay for it. So mm-hmm. what is then the business case? And um, we've been working in Indonesia with loyal partners. I mean, and why we just signed also um, a, a collaboration agreement. So we we have recently set up the social enterprise with them. And if, if I can look at why are we so confident that together we can do this is because our private sector partner, uh, East West Seeds in Indonesia, they have a long term vision. They made a commitment also as a company and they see the benefit of these services because it helps them creating loyalty with their farmers. You know, they can engage with farmers in a meaningful way. I mean, they want to sell their seeds. Eh? Let's make it very practical. They want to sell seeds to farmers. That is their their core business. But they can only sell the good seeds to the, or they can only make business in the long term if the farmers value their seeds. If the farmers understand why they should grow this product and not that product, and what and the advice they get on top of it. You know, if East West Seeds is successful in you know providing the package that a farmer requires, and the farmer sees the benefit of it then East West Seeds easily can sell more seeds. They can expand their market. And that is what what East West Seeds triggers. So not only indeed the social environmental benefits, which are absolutely hugely important, but it's also feeding their core business. And we as ECO, uh, our role to make this happen was by bringing the partners together and really having a discussion about what's in it for you. What What is important for you as an organization? You know, don't be too modest or don't be too you know what is your real what is the real added value that you get out of this and if you have that trust 
and that transparency and we have good laughs. I mean, they made many times they made fun of me as a Dutch person in that meeting. I was the only one with only Indonesians. So you can imagine that uh, they had made good jokes. And I thought this for me is a good signal that we are on the right track to have a true partnership and also talk about things that are maybe difficult, but that we can overcome together. But then, then in, in your case, the information service is also used as a customer relation tool, so to speak, for the for the seed company. Yes. And with that information, the yields with good seeds can even be better. Yes. So the farmers benefit double and the company, of course, benefits from a direct, a more direct relationship with the farmers that they're providing. Yes, it's the loyalty model. Ruud, where is this leading us? You started this program uh, six, seven years um, ago. Uh, it was a different time then. Yeah, that 2012, 2013, um, world has changed. But where is this taking us? If you, if you could develop your program for the next five years, so to speak. Uh, that's a good question. I just want to reflect on the following first. In the Netherlands, we are very used to have access to all types of services. But let's say the the primary need of a farmer, for instance, is just having access to finance. And and it's difficult to get access to finance. And if we, with this type of activities, can help improve the access to finance, and we have a next episode on, on this issue later on, but if we can provide this access to finance and suppose that uh, the harvest uh, he put he bu- uh, farmer buys uh, seeds or nutrients and he loses his uh, harvest then he has to repay the loan so if you can insure the loan then you have already a better income security provided but if you even can provide during uh, the year the advices to avoid that harvest as loss, then you come to a win-win situation where you combine all the various elements that are being developed in different projects in our uh, program. So the way forward, it, let's say there are many ways forward. I see that there are a lot of elements in the G4AW project that can be combined and work together. And in fact, it's, I think, very, uh, let's say, the the... the Initiative lies with the local organizations, the enterprises that provide the services and that cooperate with the NGOs. They have to step forward to take initiative to, to in fact, uh, uh, connect with investors, maybe even still with some donors to get, uh, let's say, a major investment in this type of activities. I see a lot of potential. And even now with uh, the, the COVID time, Even more, we see the need for digital services because people are not able to travel. So the opportunity is there and there is a fact, there's a lot of finance in the world and, and yeah, we have to bring all these different actors together. Okay, and this is very difficult because we are a very small space agency. This is not our core field. So we hope that by bringing this podcast at the Global Adaptation Summit, people will understand that there is a lot of more action needed. If you hear the potential of the things that the, the four of you describe, you know, the areas you're working in and, and the way you operate, you know, the, the potential must indeed be enormous. So, Lenneke, what is your ideas about it? Yeah, indeed. I mean, you hear more of indeed that the, the future of, of, for example, these digital services is by bundling services with other valuable 
uh, yeah, tools. And with, with bundling, you mean agriculture, health, finance? Exactly, okay. yeah. So it, bundling services, more downloads, that absolutely is a way to grow. Information services and data. Is this, are we creating a new dependency here? You know, are these uh, farmers being, you know, completely depending you know, on the information that is provided by by others who owns these data that, is, that are collected? You know, we are sharing everything, but is that, um, are we allowed to, to, to do so? I mean, this, this opportunity, this world of opportunity that is there also raises, you know, some questions. Andre, what do you think? I think a number of things. So... I think the first question is, uh, um, if you consider, and then I'm looking at the case in Burundi, if you don't do anything, they don't have the information. They're not being reached by extension uh, officers. And they're hindered in many ways in their progress. So I think there's definitely a need from the farmer side, but also from the economic development side to, to have such service platform in place. And yes, uh, we need to do that with care. So all the data we collect, um, we do that under European privacy laws. And in principle, the farmers are providing the information. They can also remove it. Um, and then, indeed, uh, it's important to to share that information. I really like the, the argument of, of Lennox in that. Uh, so therefore, we're also building a basically a platform, partly open, if you do it at accurate level, to to share that information with with many uh, with many actors actually, because. For each program, a new survey of what the specific condition in the countryside is being undertaken. If you drive into the countryside with a four-wheel drive, you get likely answers. The people want to have a project in their place. So the answers you get is maybe different from when you already have received the information and used that information base to design your uh, your program. So do more targeted surveys. So we provide, uh, we're building this platform to provide the information um, on our farmers, yeah, um, are there schools? Is there uh, is there malaria? Uh, are there land conflicts? Are there yeah, many questions like that? And we're building a special platform for that to simply share the information, um, also with the government, also with um, with embassies to make development uh, work work. If we're not doing it, nobody's doing it. So maybe there's a dependency on that. But I think first it's very good to have this development um, yeah, on, ongoing. And I think it's very needed to uh, to help Burundi to raise out of poverty. At least the information is available. And that, you know, dealing with that is an important question, but it's a better situation than having no information at all. Exactly. And it needs to be carried out with care. I would like to thank all of you a lot for your contribution. I mean, I've got a whole new idea and concept about this 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 world i was really thinking about come on making an application in the netherlands and send it to burundi and think it will work you know and that's so simplistic and you opened my eyes and demonstrated what's behind it and what can be done and how this is done in combination with the involvement of the the end users and the and the stakeholders. And for me, this target group, smallholder farmers, is no longer just a recipient of an aid program, but they are, you know, really you know, with you in this in this endeavor and with the pastoralist of Catherine as well. And I think if we continue on that road of, of development, a lot can be done. Thank you for listening to the podcast Space for Food Security Does It Work? Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Catch our next episode. 
This podcast series has been financially supported by the Netherlands Ministry of Foreign Affairs and produced by the Netherlands Space Office. 